Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. Today is what day? Somebody said Saturday. I knew that was coming. I meant something a little deeper. Pesach, right? So the question immediately arises. We're talking about sacrifices and covenants and different things. It's Passover, like it's a really big day and deal. Shouldn't we be talking about Passover on Passover? That's what I wanted. We have yes and no. That's the perfect Jewish answer. Here's the deal. This could not have worked out any better to have fallen on this particular day because this is Passover, the event we remember, the freedom from bondage, the exodus from Egypt, but also as Messianic believers, we remember the sacrifice of Yeshua, the the lamb, Paul says, he has become our Passover lamb. We remember that exodus, that freedom, that deliverance from bondage. And so we're, we're remembering, especially tomorrow night in the resurrection service, next Friday, the meal of Messiah, we don't at all forget Yeshua's sacrifice. And I have to put that word in air quotes because later on in the series, we'll understand what that actually means. But there is something that makes this all the more important, that is related to our series, related to Passover, and related to all of us. Because what I just said, the idea that there was an exodus from Egypt and there was a, a, a deliverance from bondage in Egypt, a deliverance from bondage to sin in Yeshua, it doesn't stop there in Christian thought. There is an extension of this deliverance from sin that Yeshua has accomplished for us, and that is this, that not only did those things happen, but Yeshua's death set us free, our Passover lamb set us free, the eternal and final sacrifice setting us free from what? The old covenant, the Torah, the sacrificial system, the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins because as we've learned recently, the understanding is that sacrifices take away sins, blood and bulls and goats and all those things. So the thought process moves from Yeshua delivered us from our sins but he also delivered us from any necessity to obey the Torah or also really, if we really dig down into this, we can, we, we've, we've corrected, by the way, over the last three weeks, the idea that sins 
undo, that sacrifice undoes sins. And if you recall, looking at our pregnant mother, and we talked about ritual purity and moral purity, and what sacrifices can do, and what sacrifices cannot do, that they can make your earthly flesh clean to be able to enter into holy space with God, but they cannot make your inner soul and self clean. That's a 15-second recap. But the idea continues here, and again, I'm saying according to traditional Christian thought that, that what happened yesterday on the cross at Golgotha was the thing that I started in week one by saying, this crazy thought that God is a bloodthirsty, angry, mean deity that must be pacified. And so yesterday on Golgotha, some thousands of years ago, The angry God who was out for blood was finally pacified by some blood that made him happy. It wasn't bulls and goats. At least something died. This time it was a human and we're all good now. And we talked about how crazy and wrong it is to look at God in that light and more importantly, to ever see the sacrifices in the sacrificial system in that light. That God finds sacrifices like we've been talking about as a pleasing aroma. But the, the, this is the end point of what I'm saying. There was a redemption in Egypt. There was a redemption on Golgotha. that that killed the Torah, the Old Covenant, the Levitical priesthood, the sacrificial system, and ultimately where that ends up is that, that the sacrificial system is understood to have been done away with by Passover. So it's the perfect time to actually be talking about what we're talking about because we've worked hard up to this point. There's one more extension of that, though, that I want to give you. And this is everywhere in early Christian thought and writing. That because the Jews rejected the sacrifice of Jesus that this angry God got angry and exiled them and destroyed their temple and as a final stamp of disapproval destroyed the temple and said, now if you don't understand that the sacrifices are done, I'm through with you. So that's where the traditional understanding of the book of Hebrews and the things that it says and what happened on Passover, that's where 2,000 years of church teaching ends up. That's wrong. That's not a haughty statement I'm making. That's just wrong. Why? Well, Today we need to carry the assumption to the next level. We need, to, we need to take that because the end point that's not to be missed by all that I just said is that basically Yeshua's death, burial, resurrection, it has undone the Torah, the word of God. Now Andy Stanley would find 
great affirmation in that. And he would take Hebrews 8.13 and said, the old is passed away, it's becoming obsolete. And would apply that to the word of God and what Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection did. Today, we need to correct some things. We need to carry this assumption, and I'm going to warn you up front right now, you're not going to get any answers today. I'm going to ask and pose some questions to you that you need to write down or file somewhere where you're going to remember them if you're like me. If you try to file it in here, it'll be gone by the time you get up to leave the room. So you can listen to the recording or do what you need to do. But I'm going to, I'm going to ask some questions today in order to know answers and what they mean, you have to know the question that's being asked. A red wagon. What? A red wagon. That's the answer. Got it? No, you don't because you don't know the question that was asked. What did you buy Gabriel for his birthday? I didn't really buy a red wagon. That's something Leave It to the Beaver would get. That doesn't happen in 2019. But you understand, you have to know the questions in order for the answers to make sense. So I'm going to pose some questions to you. And I want to explain the implications of the answer to this question. Did the gospel of Messiah Yeshua, did the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah Yeshua end the sacrificial system, the temple system, the Levitical priesthood, and the Torah. Now, rhetorically, you say, of course it didn't, but why? Today, I will tell you why. Because at the end, you will have four reasons that this idea, this well-established theological assumption that I just laid out from from, from Egypt to the end of the Torah and everything in between, at the end of today, you will have before you four reasons why this poses a major problem for people who read the Bible. I don't mean theologians, I don't mean professionals, professors, I don't mean people like that, I mean you and me. People who read the Bible to understand it and apply it to their lives and have it make sense and and not, not be struggling with contradictions and different things like that. So, so here's what we do. The fundamental challenge we're facing is that if we take a look at the book of Hebrews and allow it to continue to be taught in the way that it is taught, it undermines the rest of the Bible. The book itself does not undermine the rest of the Bible. But if it is misunderstood in its current context in which it is taught, it does not make sense. It doesn't jive with the Bible. And that matters to me. And what really matters is that if the book of Hebrews is allowed to say that the sacrifices, the Torah, the prophets, and even the New Testament will show you that that's not, that, that, that if we read Hebrews the way it's taught, it does away with parts of even the New Testament. And I'll show you how. 
But ultimately, by doing away with Torah and everything else, it also does away with Messianic Judaism, and that should matter to you. Because we love Messiah Yeshua. We love the Word of God. And we love the author of the Word of God, our Father in heaven. And misunderstanding this book delegitimizes us. So, we begin today to assess the problems with these traditional interpretations of the book of Hebrews. The disconnect between what the Bible actually says and what people think it says. So yeah, I think God knew what he was doing when he brought us here today for this on Passover. You ready? This message is entitled, They Missed the Memo. Now, I need to tell you, I want to try to, I, I really, I don't want to overload you with information, you know that, but there are so many scriptures that are required. There's no better place to make a point than to go to the word of God to make it. So I have a lot of scriptures, you can jot them down or you can go back and listen to the recording. But the first, first problem is that they missed the memo. Who's number one? The Torah missed the memo. If that's what Hebrews actually says, the Torah missed the memo. Here's why. We don't have to look hard. We don't have to look hard to understand why an Andy Stanley or, or that type of teaching can exist. All we need to do is look at the book of Hebrews. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there for another priest according to rise according to rise according to the order of Melchizedek? In other words, what we're assuming here is that the Levitical priesthood it, it, it wasn't worth anything. What good was it? Yeshua had to come and do something else. Next, Hebrews 8. The main point is what is said. We have such a high priest who's taken a seat at the right hand. Uh, num- verse 2, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle. What does that imply? It implies that the one on earth, it's not, it's, it's not that good. It's, it's the true tabernacle is somewhere else. And Yeshua, who's replaced the Levitical priesthood, has done away with the need for the priests and this ugh, nasty earthly temple. Go on, Hebrews 10. And here's what Yeshua says. After saying above, that's Yeshua who's saying it, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You have not desired. So there he's just done away with the sacrificial system. We corrected that last week, but that's what could be assumed nor have you taken pleasure. Behold, I have come to do your will. He has taken away the first in order to establish the second. What is the understanding of the first? The first in Christian thought is assumed to be the old covenant, which incorrectly is also then equated to mean the word of God, the Torah. Last but not least, and very damning, if I might, for on the one hand, there is setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. You don't have to look any further than that if you are a, a, a Christian 
who doesn't have any understanding of Torah or, or these other things, you don't have to look any further. He's bringing a better hope. The Torah was weak and useless. So you don't have to really, you can understand why this is the point at which mainstream theology ends up after reading the book of Hebrews, that, that the Torah, is just it, it was done away with. But here is our problem. Remember this verse in Matthew 5? Do not think, don't even think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets I didn't come to abolish but to fulfill. Well, there it is, Damien. Come on. Fulfill, that means do away with. No, it doesn't. It means fill full. It means interpret properly. It means teach you. And then he goes on to say, and then he says, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Here is a problem until heaven and earth pass away. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Look up in the sky. Look down on the ground. Shemaim Haaretz, heaven, earth, are they gone? This has proven to be quite a long time. It hasn't happened yet, okay? So we have Hebrews saying these things about a weak and useless law. We have Yeshua coming and saying, well, I didn't come to do away with it until heaven and earth pass away. That's a mighty long time. But what? does the Torah say about the Levitical priesthood? This is, a, this, is, this is just one of many things that we could look at about the Torah's eternal nature. But in particular, the Levitical priesthood. Exodus 29, what does it say about this? I want to throw a few words at you. Perpetual, permanent, forever. That means... That means as long as heaven and earth are standing, this is what's going to happen. You shall gird them with sashes. This is all the things in Exodus, Deuteronomy. Not all the things. There's hundreds more. The priesthood by a perpetual from, uh The Lord your God has chosen him and his sons, Aaron and his sons, to stand and serve in the name of the Lord. How long? Next. They shall be on Aaron and his sons so that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a statute. So they shall wash their hands and feet so they will not die. And it shall be a an Aaron. And then Leviticus 16, you shall have this. This is Yom Kippur. You shall have Yom Kippur as a what kind of statute? Numbers 18, only the Levites shall perform the service of the ten of meeting. They shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a... So, if Hebrews is correct, then what happened is Yeshua actually did abolish the Levitical priesthood because it's in the Torah forever. He is the temple, the Torah, done, abolished. But that's not what the text says. 
it says exactly the opposite. We have a communication breakdown. Was Yeshua confused? Did, did, he, did he get the message wrong? John 12, 49 says, I only, I only say what my father sent me to say. So he heard. He didn't make a mistake, right? When he said, I have not come to abolish. No, not to fulfill. If his death, burial, and resurrection in the temple, the sacrifices, the Aaronic priesthood, he's removed half of Exodus, most of Leviticus, part of Numbers, some of Deuteronomy. If that's what his death, burial, and resurrection did, we have a problem. Because one thing says one, and the other says the other. So if Yeshua canceled all that stuff, that forever, permanent, perpetual stuff, guess what? If he did that, if those things are gone according to the Torah, then I want to welcome you to heaven. Because heaven and earth have passed away and we are sitting in the world to come and it doesn't get any better than this. Hallelujah. You want this forever? Because that's what we're that's what we're assuming. And that is a problem. The Torah obviously missed the memo. Second problem. The prophets missed the memo. There is an absolute, fundamental, inescapable reality about the messianic age. Do you know what that reality, inescapable, fundamental is? The Messiah will be there in the Messianic age. And so will something else. This. The temple. The third temple. This cannot be escaped. It is a prophetic certainty. We have slide. I mean, we have texts. We have Isaiah. Listen to this. Isaiah 2.2. It will come about that in the last days, the mountain, the house of the Lord will be established. When are the last days? The last days are, we're coming to the messianic age. The house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and nations will stream to it. Not only is there going to be a temple, but all of us in this room, Jew and Gentile, are going to stream to it. Isaiah, now listen to me. You can't love Isaiah 53 and dismiss Isaiah 2. He's either all right or all wrong. And many people will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To where? To the house of the God of Jacob. What is that? It's the temple, the house of the God of Jacob. Next, we go to Zechariah and we read, Thus says the Lord, I'll return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts. What is that? That is the mountain that houses the holy house of God. Next, we move to a very, very powerful section. Ezekiel 37, I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst. How long? Darn. That is throwing a wrench in some theological works. 
My dwelling place will be with them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. The nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Now, pause. Ezekiel 37. Anyone know what's in Ezekiel 36, particularly 25 and following? Ezekiel 36 is the most profound, beautiful presentation of the new covenant, the real new covenant, because the new covenant is not the apostolic scriptures. That's not what that means. The new covenant is found in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31. Here's what Ezekiel 36 says. Note, 36 is before 37, just to be clear. And he says and spells out, I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands. In other words, he's bringing the exile in. This can only be in the end of days. This can only be in the messianic age. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from filthiness. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit. Remove the heart of stone. I'll put my spirit within you, cause to walk in my statutes. You'll be careful to observe my ordinances. I need you to understand something here. Ezekiel has the temple and its sacrifices and service following after the flowing out of the new covenant. Do you see a problem with this order if we are to believe the traditional understanding that all of this has been done away with? We can't. And Ezekiel then goes on after chapter 37. If you count a few more and you get to 40, then he's going to spend eight chapters in the book of Ezekiel talking about the third temple, the priests, the sacrifices, the architecture, the layout, and of course, the Nasi, the prince, who we all know who that is. Where is he? Oh my goodness, Ezekiel, he's in the temple. You missed something, buddy. No, let's look at Jeremiah 31, the ultimate new covenant guy. Jeremiah 33, I will remind you, where is the new covenant found? 31. And he says some very familiar things, like Ezekiel just said, I'll put my law within you. But here in 33, coming after, he says, yet again, there will be heard in this place of which you say, it's a waste. I mean, you can read this. But in verse 11, he's saying, this place is desolate and horrible. You say there's nothing. He's talking about Jerusalem. But once again will be heard the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom. We know what he's talking about. The messianic age and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. And of those who bring a thank offering. What is a thank offering? It's a sacrifice. And that, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is God. His loving kindness is everlasting. You know where that's from? That's from Psalm 100. That's the psalm that was said in the temple when the thanksgiving offering was being offered up. We still say that every morning in the morning prayers. We stand and we say this, recalling and looking forward to the time when it's offered again. But my point is, Jeremiah, after the new covenant, which supposedly did away with everything, is still talking about a temple and sacrifices. He missed the memo that Hebrews has written. Next. Now, I'll end this prophet section with you right here. 
For thus says the Lord. Well, okay. Let's read the whole thing because it's great. Who's the branch of David? Tzemach David. Who's the branch? Messiah Yeshua. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David, the Tzemach David, to spring forth. He shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. What does this sound like? The Messianic Age. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell in safety. This is the name on which shall be called Adonai Tzidkenu, our Lord, our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. You bet, brother Damien, Jesus is going to sit on that throne in Israel. Yes, he is. And read the next sentence. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings and prepare sacrifices. How long? If you can, if you buy the first sentence I read, you have to buy the second one. You cannot separate those. So what's happening in the Messianic age? Yeshua, Tzemach David, is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, and God has his man from the Levitical tribe offering up sacrifices. You with me? We're making a good case here, aren't we? And... If there is a temple which we've established, there is no way for people to interact in the temple, in the holy space, without the Levitical system of priesthood. Why? Go back to week two, talk about ritual purity, talk about the fact that you cannot come to God except on his terms in holy space. And that means sacrifices that purify your flesh to go before him. If Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection did away with this, the prophets missed the memo, and this is a problem. Third problem. <clears throat> oh, that's, a, that's another great one. The third problem. The third, third group of people who missed the memo. The apostolic community. If anyone should know that the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah did away with the Levitical system, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices. John, Peter, James, the leader of the community in Jerusalem, Paul, and the entire apostolic community, should they not know this? I mean, they were there for goodness sakes. So what does this look like? Well, in Luke 24, 51, I'll show you that this is kind of troubling. While he was blessing them, who is he? Yeshua, this is the ascension. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were, where? Continually in the temple praising God. Now listen to me. Wouldn't that have been a good time for Jesus to say, um, I'm checking out now, I'll be back, but don't go to that nasty old temple while I'm gone. It's not good for you. Continually in the temple praising God. Acts 2, Shavuot. It says that people from all over the world were there. For Why were they all there? 
because it was a shalosh regalim. It was one of the three holy festivals commanded, the pilgrimage festivals all over. Where'd they go? They went to the temple. And so the outpouring of the Holy Spirit likely took place in the temple. And then later when Peter's giving his ultimate message of evangelism, many are baptized. Where do they have that many mikvaot to be able to baptize people? In the temple, all around, so that you could come in pure to the temple space. And then we continue in Acts 2 when we find things like this. Acts 2.46, the early community, day by day, continuing with one mind, where? Breaking bread from house to house. They're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Why doesn't it say day by day they were continually fighting with one another about whether or not they should still go to the legalistic temple because Jesus told them in Luke 2.51 that they shouldn't go there anymore. It doesn't say that because that's where they went to the temple and what was happening in the temple, the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices. Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I left the little A-O there because that's a little footnote. It tells you that that's not actually what it says. It tells you that the translator decided to write to prayer, but what the text actually says, what does it actually say, Darren? The prayers. That definite article right there Replace the A-O with the prayers. You know what the prayers are? The prayers are the temple liturgy and the things that we say in the morning still and the things that, that we do as part of Jewish life. And the prayers were said in the temple space where sacrifices were being offered and the Levites were running around. And Yeshua never said, don't do it. And they never stopped doing it. Breaking to bread and the prayers, they were continually doing what they had done. Acts 3, in the ninth hour, who was there? Two studs. Yeshua's main dudes, Peter and John, were going up to the temple. At the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, wait a minute, there's a, this is bad. Not only are they going to the temple, they're also engaging in prayers at a particular time that's a set time prayer in Judaism. What's the matter with these guys? Yeshua never shows up and rebukes them, does he? No, he doesn't. Why? Because. Why would he? It's what you do. In Acts 5.42, this is one of my favorite ones. Every day in the temple from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Yeshua as the Messiah. Every day. I know, Damien, but they were in the temple only to evangelize. That's all they were there for. That's not what everything leading up to this says. So why that? They were there... Because that's what you do to participate in the blessing of the temple in God's presence and, and to share the amazingly great news of what Yeshua had done. And Paul, Paul's bringing Nazarite vows and James is telling him he should bring Nazarite vows and, and uh, sacrifices and, and pay for other people. And Paul's making special efforts to get to the temple during the festivals. And James, by the way, why is he telling Paul he should bring a Nazarite vow? He's bringing this to tell him, I don't want people to believe what everyone, what the rumors are that you're teaching against the temple and teaching against the Torah. 
And Paul said, no way, I'll bring these and I'll pay for my buddies to do it too. (laughs) And what happens today? The lessons that are taught, unfortunately, in most Sundays are that Paul is teaching against the temple and the Torah. That all of Paul's letters are all about being undoing the Torah. Bottom line is, shouldn't they have known? Jesus dudes, his inner circle, they obviously somehow missed the memo and last and most importantly, he missed the memo. And this one, there's just no way around it. He began his life in the temple. Eighth day, remember this? Days for their purification, legalism. According to the law of Moses, legalism were completed. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, legalism. In the law of the Lord, legalism. Every first male that opens a womb shall be... It wasn't legalism. It was the way that his parents honored God. And they were righteous. And they brought their son to be dedicated in the temple. And who was there? Simeon, righteous in the temple. Anna says she never left the temple. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, why didn't the Holy Spirit, when he was giving the annunciation to Miriam, why didn't he say, oh yeah, and by the way, that thing about bringing in your firstborn son, don't do that. Don't go to the temple anymore. Don't do that. And why didn't I mean, Simeon, it says that the Holy Spirit was on him, and it says Anna was there continually offering up prayers. These are righteous people. Luke 2.48, when his parents head home after when? This season right here, after Pesach. Son, why have you treated this way? And he says, where did you think I would be? I'm at the temple, and he calls it. My father's house. That is not the word you use for something that you hate. And stick with me, we're about there. Yeshua was often found in the synagogues and at the temple. Yeah, he was turning over tables and tearing down Pharisees. That's what he did. No, what he was doing was engaging in Jewish life where it happened doing what he did, what his parents did, what he did, where it happened, in the temple, festivals, prayers, conversations, and yes, you're right, protecting the sanctity of his father's house from crooks and criminals and dens of thieves. He was doing all those things in the temple. And this may surprise you, bringing a sacrifice when necessary. What? Jesus is the Son of God. He never would have ever been impure or unclean, requiring anything to do with the sacrificial system. Remember this scripture from Hebrews 2? For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, including including ritual impurity. Yeshua. Everyone's face is kind of 
getting white and scared. Never morally impure. Never a sin. Never a thought. Never anything contrary to the Torah. But let's count just a couple of ways in which Yeshua HaMashiach could have encountered ritual impurity. There's some interesting things, if you note, that you can find workarounds. Okay, so here's the deal. The widow at Nain, whose son died, remember? What did he do? Don't cry, and he raised him from the dead. How did he do it? He touched the funeral beer as it passed by. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Nida, menstruating. Where did she touch? His garment. So you can argue if you really want to be wrong. You can argue that by not touching the dead body, he didn't become impure. Or that she didn't touch his actual skin, he didn't become impure. That's wrong. That's not correct according to Jewish law, to which Yeshua would have been very well acquainted. But let's make a, let's make a rock-solid one. And I thank my brother David Higginbotham for pointing this one out to me. It's very likely that Yosef, Yeshua's earthly father, died. We don't hear of him. Do you know what one of the firstborn's responsibilities is to their father in death? He must handle the burial, and he must handle his father's departure with honor. You cannot do that without contaminating yourself with the dead. Now, did Yeshua bring sacrifices? I, I don't know. I can't, I'm not going to even get into that dangerous territory. But Yeshua clearly participated in the process of cleansing in order to enter into the temple. Do you know why? Because if he did not, let's use his father's funeral as an example, caring for his beloved Joseph. If Yeshua boldly said, I don't do purification, he's not your Messiah. Because he just violated the Torah. He just became a sinner. He just became a rebellious, morally impure sinner who denies the validity of his father's word. Because the father's word says, do not Enter my holy space in one of these conditions that renders you ritually impure. Is that heretical? No, it's truth. It's real. It's what the Bible says. If you just take it logically. But more importantly, because that didn't happen, he never entered holy space in a ritually impure place because he would be a sinner. He wouldn't be our Messiah. More importantly, go back here. One more. Matthew 5. Uh, 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 here we go. Remember this one? We looked at it at the beginning. It was one of our first difficulties. If Yeshua, the Messiah, the perfectly righteous Lamb of God, Holy One of Israel, if he taught his disciples to enter holy space with disregard for the Torah. He is the least in the kingdom of heaven because he's taught them counter 
to the Torah. When he says, I came to fulfill it, it doesn't mean I came to do away with it or tell you to do the opposite. It means part of teaching others as their rabbi and fulfilling the Torah was to teach them the importance of entering holy space in a ritually pure way. And for goodness sakes, we talked about it last week, Matthew 5, when Yeshua says, when you bring an offering, if you realize that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled, leave your offering, then come back. And we talked about what that means. What kind of offering? When you bring a sacrifice into the temple, because you can only sacrifice in the temple. He never taught against. So realize this. He lamented over the temple. He wept. He said, your house will be left desolate. When he returns, where will his feet touch down? The Mount of Olives. What is it facing? The Temple Mount, and in particular, one very important gate. The beautiful gate, the golden gate, the gate of mercy, Shah HaRachamim. It's the gate upon which Ezekiel says, what? Messiah will enter. Enter where? Tell me, please. Tell me where he's entering into to go through the golden gate. The temple. Ezekiel, buddy, you missed it. Torah, you missed it. Isaiah, you missed it. Apostolic community, you missed it. Jesus, did you really miss it? Of course not. I'll let you in on a little secret. You ready? There is no memo. Everything that has been presented as an undoing of any of the things we've talked about, and I have presented a very few number of these, by the way, thanks in part to my friend and colleague, Daniel Lancaster, who wrote a book called What About the Sacrifices That Made This Job So Easy for Me. This, much of this is material from Daniel that I've borrowed. There was no memo. The gospel of Messiah Yeshua does not include an abrogation of the Torah, shutting down the temple, killing off the Levitical priesthood, and if anyone should have known, we've showed that they didn't. And they didn't need to because it is false teaching. It is incorrect. I told you you weren't going to get any answers, but there's a pretty solid answer. Did the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah Yeshua end the Levitical priesthood? No. The Torah, no. But what about Hebrews, Damien? All those passages. The author of Hebrews, I'm telling you, has a message, a transformative, life-changing message. But despite readings and confusing things out of context, his message is not that the gospel of Messiah destroys everything you've known before. It is a much better message. But before we get to that message, we need to know who is the author of Hebrews talking to, why, and what does he want them to know? Next week into the book of Hebrews. 
Shabbat Shalom, and Hag Pesach Sameach. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.